Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, you can sum up the entire Jamal Khashoggi incident in two words, murder and cover-up. What do you say, folks? Here we go. It's a Thursday, Thursday, October 18, and this is the Bill Press Show. Welcome to the program. Thanks for being part of the program. Thanks for joining us. you got lots of other choices, we know, so the fact that uh, you make the Bill Press Show your uh, destination Uh, To start off the day, getting the news of the day uh, makes us very, very happy, and uh, we'll try to make you happy by delivering here over the next two hours the latest on all the big news stories. Uh, Yes, uh, up to date, the grisly details uh, coming out of the Turkish government about the fate of Jamar Khashoggi once he, within minutes apparently, after he walked into the Saudi consulate uh, in Istanbul on October 2nd, Uh, Donald Trump's bragging about the fact that he has fixed the border problem just by threatening to arrest and separate families when they get here has proven not to be true as more and more arrests and more and more families are showing up despite his tough talk. Uh, And we learned that Robert Mueller has set his sights on perhaps the next person to be indicted in the Mueller investigation None other than that clown, Roger Stone. They've been circling around him, and maybe they are ready to move in. And don't worry about climate change anymore. Donald Trump is going to fix it. He's the man to do so, he says, because he has a natural instinct for science. Yes, Dr. Don, the weatherman. Uh, Here we go. On this uh, Thursday, we want to hear from you. Remember, that's your job. Send us your comments on Twitter about the news of the day, at BP Show, at BP Show. But first, 
This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know what we do this time every day. It's time for a baseball update. Oh, Two man. teams are one win away from the World Series. Dodgers. Last Go night, Dodgers. the Dodgers beat the Brewers 5-2, to two, which gives them a lead of three games to two in the series. So they are one win away. And Boston beat Houston, the Houston Astros, mm-hmm. last night. An insane ending to this game because the score was 8-6 to six in the ninth inning. The Astros loaded the bases. Their best hitter, Alex Bregman, hits a ball that is almost certainly a hit. But Boston Red Sox' Andrew Benintendi makes a diving catch to end the game. Mm. In fact, it was such an exciting moment. Red Sox play caller uh, Joe Castiglione Fell out of his chair when he was report- when he was uh, giving the mm. play-by-play. Here's what that sounded like. Kimbrell comes to the set. Outfielder step to the right to pitch. Swing and a line drive left field. Benintendi coming on. Dives. And did he make the catch? He did. He got it. The Red Sox win. There he goes. <laughs> the Red Sox win. As I just went head over heels in my chair. <laughs> Joe just fell down. <laughs> Oh. oh, wow, what a catch. Yeah, it was quite the catch wow. in his defense, wow. but he fell out of his chair. He was so excited about the Whoa. catch. Isn't so, that crazy? So it so the Astros were were had the bases loaded. They had the right? bases loaded and they wow. could I mean if that wow. had, if that ball had dropped, which it looked yeah. like it yeah. was going to, it would have been all certainly over. tied the game. Yeah. And then yeah. they still had to, uh, the chance to oh, win my it. God. But, so uh, that uh, could the be the Red Sox and the Dodgers. It's looking like the Red Sox Whoa. and the Dodgers. It's looking like the Red Sox and the Dodgers. What nation, Bill, do you think has the longest life expectancy? Hmm. Uh, Switzerland. That's a good guess, but it is not correct. The correct answer is Spain. Spain is really? number one. Huh. They take a look at a lot of different things yeah. like stress yeah. and smoking and healthy eating and access to, to good eating and stuff like that. It should also be pointed out that the United States dropped a couple of spots uh, the projected average lifespan in Spain is 85.8 years. They used to be in fourth place. Number one for years has been Japan. Japan fell to 83.7, which puts them in second place. What's the U.S.? Uh, we are now in fourth. At- we are now in fourth. I don't have the number oh, for okay. uh, exactly where we are, but we're in fourth place. Yeah. Oh. So, retire in Spain. This is the Bill Press Show. The last words of Jamal Khashoggi appear today in the Washington Post. Last column he submitted. Very personal, very chilling to read his complaints about no freedom of the press in the Arab world. I'll say. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Welcome to the program, the Bill Press Show here on a Thursday, October 18. How about it? Great to see you today. Thank you for being part of the program. Uh, We appreciate your being there, wherever you are in this great land of ours, as we join you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., reaching out to sit there right alongside of you or run alongside of you or stand alongside of you uh, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. On the radio, statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and all over the greater Chicago area on WCPT, and looking at you as well on Free Speech TV, part of the Direct TV network. You know, we always remind you, or maybe not every day, but um, 
uh, about our podcast because the podcast is growing in leaps and bounds. More and more Americans today see the podcast as a way they can keep up with uh, particularly the commentary and the analysis uh, on the news of the day. And you can get our podcast anytime by just going to our website, BillPressShow.com. And when you do so, please sign up, uh, rate us, because that really, really helps. And then you'll be on our list. You'll be getting automatically extra stuff that we put up on the weekends. You don't get any other time during the show, not during the week. Uh, Special content. um, And we just love having you on board doesn't cost you anything, go to uh, BillPressShow.com or anywhere where you um, generally pick up with your podcast. Yes, indeed, a great lineup of guests again today. Uh, Jason Dick will be joining us as a friend of Bill from Roll Call for the uh, next hour, uh, then joined by a political reporter for Roll Call, Bridget Bowman, and our first guest, Alex Ward from Vox, uh, has been covering the whole situation with the uh, Jamal Khashoggi murder in uh, in Turkey by Saudi agents, uh, and he'll bring us all the latest on that. After we'll talk about it a little bit here uh, ourselves as well to get started. That is still the lead story of the day. Some troubling, also some troubling sto- uh, numbers for Donald Trump from the border, where arrests are actually up despite Donald Trump's claims that his get tough policies are really scaring people away. And word from uh, the Robert Mueller front. Haven't talked about it much lately. Robert Mueller did um, quiet things down in the investigation, didn't want to appear to be interfering in any way in the midterms, uh, but his work has not ceased. He is still, the wheels are still rolling over there, uh, and um, apparently he is ready to release either his full report or some major findings right after the midterms. Uh, and one report today that uh, in his crosshairs is none other than Roger Stone, uh, the Republican maverick and Donald Trumper, uh, who bragged about his contacts with WikiLeaks, and he may be the one who uh, uh, had proven connections with the Russians leading up to the campaign. So let's start the latest on the Khashoggi. It is really, really um, every day more evidence, more grisly details uh, about what happened. Um, it appears that, according to the Turkish government now and according to the audio tip that they have, that this group of uh, 15 Saudi agents, as we talked about yesterday, many of whom have very close ties with the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman of uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, part of several of them who are part of his security detail, um, that they arrived in Istanbul. They went to the consulate where they had arranged for uh, Mr. Khashoggi to show up to get this piece of paper he needed in order to prove he was divorced so he could get remarried uh, in Turkey. Uh, within minutes of his walking into the consulate, uh, they um, took him into custody. Uh, they started torturing him. They cut off his fingers. They beheaded him, dismembered him. There are as evidence that they started this kind of gruesome cutting off his fingers and torture while he was still alive. Um, and it was a fairly quick work. Um, and within two hours, the 15 men packed up, went back to the private plane, and flew back to Saudi Arabia. Um, they also stopped at the consulate's house. They took the consul 
general of uh, of Saudi Arabia who was serving in Istanbul with him with them back to uh, to Saudi Arabia, and even, uh, apparently allegedly on this. So they also went to the consul consul's residence, and we don't know, you know, where the body parts this of, of Mr. Khashoggi were left. Did they take them back with them? Nobody knows. There's still lots of questions about that. On the audio tape, uh, the consul general, who is in the room when they start torturing uh, Khashoggi, um, says, hey, do this somewhere else, right? Because, you know, I, I don't want to have to be part of this. And and alleged, again, according to the Turkish government, on the tape, one of the guys says to him, hey, if you want to get back to Saudi Arabia alive, just shut up, dude, and deal with it, Okay. Uh, and because obviously he's a, an accomplice in murder there, that's what they're telling him. Uh, and some of the men are complaining about this gruesome work and the forensic doctor they have with them, the one who showed up with the bone saw, I mean, they just happened to bring the chief autopsy expert from Saudi Arabia with them to Istanbul with his bone saw. Do you think he always carries it around, you know, with him for every meeting that he goes to? Uh, at any rate, uh, they were complaining, and he said, oh, uh, here's my advice. I do this when I perform autopsies. Just play some music. Yeah, listen to some music while you're cutting this guy up. That'll make your job a lot easier. This is, according to the Turkish government, all found on the on the audio tape. Uh, at any rate, what we're, what we're really looking at now is t- total, gruesome, cruel, cold-blooded, grisly murder and a cover-up on the part of the Saudis and a cover-up that is aided and abetted by the United States of America because Donald Trump is still insisting, meanwhile, Donald Trump is still insisting that, well, they denied it, therefore we don't know that it happened. And he said this word for word, we need Saudi Arabia, so we can't be too too tough on them. We need Saudi Arabia. He says, but I sent Mike Pompeo over there to talk to them what does Pompeo do? He goes over there. He gives a grip and grin to the, to the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And the, the crown prince says, boy, we don't know what happened, but we're looking into it. And Mike Pompeo says, fine, take all the time you need. We'll give you all the time you need, all the time you need to to concoct a cover-up, to, to, to concoct a cover story that they can put out in front of the world claiming that this was, again, a rogue operation and an interrogation gone awry, which, again, begs the question, why do they have to interrogate somebody who has done nothing more than write a couple of critical articles about the royal family? And again, why 15 people from Saudi Arabia sent to Turkey to talk to the guy and why one of them took the bone saw with him? And what about you, Crown Prince, showing up in all these photographs with these dudes who were part of this gang, and you say you knew nothing about them. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, at the beginning of this week— None of it adds up. At, at the beginning of this week, this was it, a very, very disturbing story, right? We, we Like, it, it, it began— Every day more disturbing. And every single day we've had this slow walk towards one of the more shocking things that I can remember hearing about. When you hear how Donald Trump admits that, yeah, he had a lot of business there, and yeah— We've got these financial interests with Saudi Arabia. And like you mentioned, Mike Pompeo giving them time to craft their response to this. That we are dripping in the blood of this guy. We absolutely. We are the enablers. We are we're we're we 
You know, I, 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 I said this to a friend yesterday. This, this is like if the police arrest somebody for murder and then they say, oh, well, we're not going to take you in right now. We'll give you a couple of days to get your alibi together, to get your story together. But when, And so whenever you're ready and you got the big lie all worked out, give us a call and we'll bring you in then. That's exactly kind of what we're doing. Frank, and, and the, the fact that Donald Trump has yet to express any outrage about this, even though we don't yet know all the facts, we know there's cold-blooded murder and there's a cover-up. The fact that Donald Trump has not cannot bring himself to express any outrage about this is just appalling. I mean, we're talking, I mean, Jesus, what more could, what, what, what greater outrage could you have? What clear example of right and wrong could you have? If the guy has any moral compass at all, this should not be a question. Frank Luntz, Republican consultant. Frank Luntz, you've heard me talk about him before. Somebody I generally never agree with, although he and I have a good personal relationship. He tweeted out yesterday, President Trump has shown more outrage over Canadian milk than the Saudis. Absolutely right. I think on. that's right. Yeah, absolutely right. On remember all the all the ranting about Prime Minister Trudeau charging too much for Canadian milk and why we need all these tariffs. Yeah, he won't want to tear about that. He won't go on to tear about the Saudis murdering uh, a journalist. And by the way, um, one other little factoid here to keep in mind is it just so happens, total coincidence that the very day that Mike Pompeo showed up in Saudi Arabia for this grip and grin with the prince, the Saudis sent the United States a check for $100 million to help deal with the situation in Syria. Hmm. Yeah, no quid pro quo, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that there is anything, any connection between the two. Yeah, you know there's every bit of connection when you're talking about the Trump. So, so here's what Pompeo talks to reporters afterwards again. And the point he makes, having had this big, big meeting, which was a, just a comedy, a charade, uh, the, the main point he wants to make is how important it is that we keep our relationship with Saudi Arabia. Financial relationships between U.S. and oh. Saudi companies. Yeah. Uh, governmental relationships, things we work on together all across the world. The efforts to uh, reduce the risk to the United States of America from the world's largest state sponsor of terror, Iran. Oh yeah, gosh, we need as as he's just he is just echoing what Donald Trump said. We need Saudi Arabia. We need Saudi Arabia. And then, uh, uh, so reporters say, well, it's kind of, kind of, what did you find out? I mean, do you think this guy was really killed in the embassy? It looks like it. I'm Pompeo. So no, don't want to go there. I'm not gonna get ahead of. We have two countries conducting investigations. They'll <laughs> they'll. They'll do that, and the world will get a chance to see the facts that they turn up during their investigation. Yeah, and when are we going to find out? Well, Pompeo says, you know, that they just need a lot of time. We're going to give them the space to complete their investigations of this incident, and when they issue their reports, we'll form our judgment about the thoroughness, depth, and the decisions they make about accountability connected to that. Well, he really sounds angry, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, geez. Yeah, he he sounds so upset there. Yeah, mm-hmm, right. But again, he's just echoing what the the, the big man is saying here, Donald Trump, <laughs> big in many ways. Uh, Donald Trump saying the same thing. 
after saying, no, they're going to give him all the time they need, all the time, he insists, no, this is not a cover-up. But again, he emphasizes, we need Saudi Arabia. I'm not giving cover at all. With that being said, Saudi Arabia has been a very important ally of ours in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he made this point earlier in the week. You know, like, what's the big deal? He wasn't even an American citizen. He's asked by re- – so, pardon me, this is in response to a question from a reporter. Are you going to send the FBI over there to help figure out what really happened? And in responding, he makes a point about – talks about the FBI, but also makes a point about Khashoggi not being an American citizen. So why should we give a damn? Well, he wasn't a citizen of this country, for one thing, and we're going Why does to that determine matter? that. And you don't know whether or not we have, do you? Well, I, no, but do you know whether or not we've sent the FBI? Have you sent the FBI? Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you? Well, ha, ha. What do you mean? Why is that so funny? Why is that funny? I'm not going to tell you. Why should – well, why should – because the guy asked the question. And because if our FBI is involved – we, the American people, have a right to know. And if they're not involved, we, the American people, uh, have have a right to know. Uh, so f- from Donald Trump, all we have seen from the beginning is, like Vladimir Putin denied having anything to do with the election, Donald Trump believes him. Brett Kavanaugh denied having anything to do with sexual assault, Donald Trump believes him. The prince, the crown prince and the king both deny knowing anything about the disappearance of Jamal Khashoggi, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Donald Trump believes them. So we see them believe their denials and then and say they need more time or going to give them more time and then emphasizing how important the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia is. He keeps talking about this $110 billion arms deal, which, by the way, so far has produced $14.5 billion in arms sales which is still significant, but a long way from $110 billion, just to put that uh, in perspective. And meanwhile, again, this $100 million payment that came from the Saudis on the very day that Mike Pompeo showed up uh, in Riyadh. Meanwhile, what really I found so powerful today is that the Washington Post publishes the very last column they received from Jamal Khashoggi. They got it a couple of weeks ago. Remember, he has not been heard from since October 2nd when he walked into the consulate and, according to the Saudis, walked out the back door. At least that was their original denial. Um, and the Washington Post held on to this because they say in, in a little footnote or a, a little note at the beginning of the column, they were hoping he'd come back. They were holding out hope that they would hear from him somehow, somewhere. Uh, now they have abandoned that hope. They realized. He'll never be heard from again. Uh, they decided to publish this column. It's a very strong column where he is lamenting the the and 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 so tellingly he's lamenting the lack of freedom of the press in the Arab world. He talks about the fact there's only one country in the entire Arab world that has been classified as free, according to the latest report by the Freedom House, and that is Tunisia. Other countries, he said, are all basically under state-run media, uh, and there's no freedom of expression. Here's Khashoggi. As a result, Arabs living in these countries are either uninformed or misinformed. 
unable to adequately, uh, adequately address, much less publicly discuss, matters that affect the region and their day-to-day lives. And he refers and relates to one very dear friend of his, he says, a prominent Saudi writer, Salah al-Salah, who wrote one of the most famous columns ever published in the Saudi press, who is now serving a five-year prison sentence for writing comments contrary to the Saudi royal family. And he laments the fact that his friend is in prison for five years. And, uh, and he goes on to say, as a result, Arab governments have been given free reign to continue silencing the media at an increasing rate. Boy, little did we know, little did he would expect that the, the extent to which the Saudi government would go to silence the voice of Jamal Khashoggi. I don't know whether we can put this up on our website. We should just so we'll tweet it out it. for sure. Yeah, yeah, we'll tweet it out at tweet it out. show. Yeah, uh, just you, you read it and you think, <clears throat> geez, um, how far did they go? A lot farther even than he feared uh, at the time, for sure. There are a couple of other little stories we ought to touch base on um, just to bring you up to date. We'll be talking more about the uh, this whole Khashoggi uh, scandal with uh, Alex Ward from who covers international security and defense issues for Vox. Uh, Meanwhile, yeah, a little word about uh, the Robert Mueller investigation. Uh, According to Rod Rosenstein and his comments to the Washington, to the Wall Street Journal, uh, the Rosenstein investigation continues. Uh, It's an independent investigation. It's important. It's going on. And other sources report uh, to CNN, Politico, and others that Mueller is kind of Maybe not wrapping the whole thing up, uh, but he's ready to make some major, um, more more major announcements, indictments, um, charges or whatever, uh, and we'll do so right after the midterm elections. Uh, and one of the uh, one of the people that may be very much in the crosshairs is. Former uh, tr- campaign, what was he, the camp- chief campaign consultant, I guess, at one time. To, he was he was there long before Paul Manafort. We're talking about Roger Stone, right? The, the ultimate Republican trickster who's always been a buddy of Donald Trump's uh, and who um, bragged about the fact that a couple of days before WikiLeaks released the emails of John Podesta, um, Roger Stone told reporters, watch out, John Podesta is going to be in a lot of trouble. So it was very clear that Roger Stone was in contact with WikiLeaks, which I think he's basically admitted, and WikiLeaks is getting this stuff from Russia. What contacts did Roger Stone have with Russia? If there was any collusion, Roger Stone might have been right in the middle of it. And it's been stunning to me that he's escaped Robert Mueller so far. Uh, But apparently one of the reasons now that people are saying that um, Mueller was able to make a deal with Paul Manafort was that Manafort was willing to tell the truth about Roger Stone. We'll see what drops, but it's getting the plot thickens. You know, the the interesting thing about this, and again, I've mentioned this before, the the documentary Get Me Roger Stone on Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah, which I haven't seen. It's it's really great, but they also show— how 
Paul Manafort and Roger Stone have been in business with each other for years, I mean, decades. L- literally in business. Literally, yeah, literally, yeah. literally. Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, and Charlie Black, I yeah. believe. That yeah. was a consulting and, firm. And, yeah. yeah, Exactly. And they talk about sort of the creation of the modern PAC system and super PAC system. And that was essentially a creation of those three guys that you just mentioned, Paul Manafort mm-hmm. and, and Roger Stone being the, the two names that are most recognizable these days. So Paul Manafort knows a lot of stuff about Roger Stone. I mean, they have decades and decades of business relationship that he knows beyond just the Trump campaign. And you know, so if anybody knows how he operates, if they get stoned, nobody deserves it more. Oh, <laughs> you you are so right. You are so right. It's yeah. that that's going to be a good one. Anybody who has a tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back. <laughs> You know is no good. Right? Yeah. He's up to no good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean just just start right there. Right? That's gonna be satisfying. Uh and, and he uh and he brags about it. Uh climate change, oh boy. Don't have to worry about that anymore. But that's one thing we can just take off the take off the list of things that we uh uh that w- that keeps us awake at night. Um because uh, Donald Trump first of all he told Leslie Stahl in that uh, sixty minutes interview last Sunday, um that um yeah, he kinda believes in climate change, but he doesn't believe it's man made. Uh, he said, this is just um, things change, and then they change back. Uh, and he uh, was asked about that with the Associated Press um, and Zeke Miller in his interview um, a couple of days later. Uh, we're, we're now know that we saw the, t- the transcript of it. Uh, and again, Donald Trump reemphasizing, well, we don't have to worry too much because, yeah, it gets hot, and then it goes back and getting cold again. So global warming is just a cycle. Uh, And he knows that because he said, look, um, I mean, you have, quoting here from Donald Trump, I mean, you have scientists on both sides of it. My uncle was a great professor at MIT for many years, Dr. John Trump. And I didn't talk to him about this particular subject, but I didn't have to. I, because I have a natural instinct for science. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. Yeah, Donald Trump. If the one thing you can say pretty sure about Donald Trump, he does not know beans about science, nor does he care about it, nor no interest, no respect for it, no belief in it. Name one scientist, right, that has any confidence in Donald Trump. There may be scientists on both sides of the climate change issue. You can come up with a list as long from here to the moon about the scientists who say climate change is real and it's threatening the survival of the planet. You could come up with maybe a tiny list of scientists who say just the opposite, and they all work for oil companies or coal companies. I, I've, from the beginning, first time I debated climate change on Crossfire 20 years ago, I, I made the offer. You show me one scientist who is not on an oil company or coal company payroll who denies climate change, and I'll, you know, you win. Yeah, right? that, Nobody, I mean, that's still you, the case. Nothing's still changed. The case. Can't come up with it. Yeah. Can't come up with it. Yeah. No, except for science man Donald Trump. Right. Got with it. a natural instinct. Natural instinct Please. for science. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, and, oh, so the news just keeps moving on and on, and we run fast to try to keep up with, 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 with your help. Don't forget, we want to hear from you. Your comments on the news of the day, particularly the latest and the just absolute refusal 
of the Trump administration to say anything critical about Saudi Arabia in light of mounting evidence that they did uh, lure into the consulate and kill and dismember uh, the body of Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, and Donald Trump meeting at the White House today with George Pompeo. And we'll see what they say afterwards. You know what to go say afterwards? We need the Saudis and they need more time. Yeah. I think that's probably what you can yeah. expect. And meanwhile, let's talk about something else because he wasn't an American citizen, so why should we care? It is the Bill Press Show on a Thursday, October 18. Thank you for being part of it. Let's hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. Quick break. Alex Ward joins us from Vox to talk more about the Saudi uh, situation. This is the Bill Press Show. And here we go on a Thursday, October 18, uh, the Bill Press Show. Live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and, you know, uh, our little perch here on Capitol Hill. Just down the street from the United States Capitol building, pretty quiet uh, this week. And we're brought to you today, that they're quiet, we're not. We're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, the great men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox. They keep our uh, federal agencies running day in and day out, proud to get up and work for America every day. We salute them for their good work, thank them for the support of the program, uh, and invite you to check out their website at afge.org. Uh, Alex Ward covers national security and defense issues. He's been uh, writing a lot about the uh, Saudi Arabians, uh, uh, this whole disappearance of uh, Jamal Khashoggi, and he joins us in studio, writes for Vox, I should say, vox.com. Hey, Alex, good to see you. Nice to be here. Uh, we have been... Uh, talking about this for a little bit and generating some uh, comments from our viewers and listeners. Peter? Yes, indeed. Lots of comments uh, online where we're tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show. Walker says, so a person is tortured and died? Well, so what? People die every day and this guy was not a U.S. citizen. That's how Donald Trump feels about it. What does the $100 million tell us? It's all about the money. David Gow says, let's remember, 15 of the 19 uh, hijackers on 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia. Pompeo saying that the Saudis help us combat terrorism is a joke. Do you have a comment on any topic? At any time, find us on Twitter, at BP Show. The $100 million, um, uh, the listener that was referring to, is the $100 million that just coincidentally happened to arrive in the State Department uh, from Saudi Arabia to help with our efforts to achieve some stability or restore some stability in Syria, that check just happened to arrive the same day that Mike Pompeo showed up to meet the crown prince of Saudi Arabia uh, in Riyadh. Alex, um, what, what, what the hell is that cap you're wearing? For those of you who are <laughs> not watching on Free Speech TV, uh, Alex has a uh, unusual cap on today. I, I have a Red Sox hat on. Uh, <laughs> we are up three games to one in the series oh, against stop the Astros. Gloating. I'm sorry. It was a, I, the reason I'm a little extra tired today is I stayed up to watch the game, which went on for eternity. Well, it was like it, a four and a half hour game or something. Was it's, it really? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, yeah. And it ended around 12:30 in Boston or. Or, that was in Houston. It was in, in, Houston. Houston. in Houston. And yeah. it ended with a spectacular play. Here's what that <laughs> sounded like. Kimbrough comes to the set. Outfielder step to the right, the pitch. Swing and a line drive, left field. Ben Benintendi coming on, dives. And did he make the catch? He did. He got it. The Red Sox win. <laughs> the guy falls out of his Red chair. <laughs> I just went head over heels in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. What a catch. O W E I. 
W-E-S, Joe Castiglione, uh, oh, fell yeah. out of his chair. He got so excited. Yeah, please don't fall out of your chair. Yeah, no, yeah the, don't get too yeah, excited. I, I did last night, or this morning, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> so it's looking good. Can't can't complain. Very, very happy so far. Of course, the Astros are a good team, so uh, got to get one more. Yeah, and then maybe Dodgers, Red Sox. Oh, wow. Maybe. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be great fun, yeah. 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 That's what Major League Baseball is rooting for. I mean, oh, that's absolutely. two huge media markets, right? I mean, they're going to get the best ratings that way. Yeah, and coast to coast. I mean, right, the yeah. whole thing. No, well, offense, no offense, Alex. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. Ha- I, I'm not a huge fan of the Boston Red Sox, but if if it ends up being Boston and L.A., I'm going to become a Red Sox fan. I just, I ha- somebody has to stop the Dodgers. <laughs> somebody has to stop. As a, as a Nats fan. Somebody has to stop these filthy Dodgers. Well, I hope my Red Sox can stop them for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so let's come to the news of the day. What credibility should we put in the leaks that we're hearing from the, the Turkish government uh, about those people who were part of the delegation, if we want to use a pro- <laughs> It's a nice way of putting it. Not a goon squad or whatever that came from Saudi Arabia to Turkey and um, the audio tape that they reportedly have that uh, I don't know anybody outside of the Turkish government officials who have listened to. So a lot seems to be riding on that tape. Is it? Should we? It's Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, there's a spat between Turkey and Saudi Arabia right now. And so one of the things you could think about this entire situation is that Turkey is just trying to make Saudi Arabia look bad, right, by saying we have an audio tape. And we're leaking this to the press, Turkish press, which, of course, the American press will pick up. And the Turkish press won't put out anything without the say from Ankara. You know, yeah, we're not talking time. really about a freedom of press citadel in Turkey. Exactly right. And so there again, there's a spat between Turkey and Saudi Arabia really kind of started with the Arab Spring. They were on differing sides of it, really kicked into gear with the Qatar blockade. And so, again, it's possible that Turkey is just trying to make Saudi Arabia look bad. There are others who would say that Turkey's actually trying to give Saudi Arabia space to come up with an excuse for what may have happened, right? By having these non-official leaks, Saudi Arabia then has the time to come up with an official statement. Um, so it's hard to know, to answer your question. But that said, they are the most descriptive and specific details that we have about what may have happened to Jamal Khashoggi on October 2nd. So at, at this point, it's all we have to go on. But we do have to look at it with a bit of skepticism. Uh, why did it take them two weeks before they sent their forensic experts into the consulate and into the consul general's residence? Oh, the, t- the Turks you're referring to? Uh, yeah, it's, part of it is just the Saudis have to give them permission. It's still Saudi territory. Uh, and, of course, even when the Turks went in, uh, they required Saudis to be part of the team. And this, of course, gives the Saudis time to clean up the situation. Even the Turkish official said we went in. It was hard to find anything, of course, because things have been painted over. Uh, they did find they did find evidence that things had just recently been repainted. Exactly. So that investigation, it seems, is not going to prove or, you know bear that much fruit. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to think that this is still, even though it's in Istanbul, it's still Saudi territory, and still the Saudis had control over it. And so it's it's hard for the Turks to actually get as much info on the ground as they would like, although they do claim, again, that they have an audio recording and possibly a video recording as well. From what we've heard from the Turks, not from the Saudis, um, Mr. Khashoggi was, he had made an, they were trying to lure him back. To, we, we do know that Saudi Arabia was trying to get Khashoggi, he's talked about, he talked about this before he was killed, right. to get, come back to Saudi Arabia so we can talk and maybe yeah. work things out, right? Uh, he didn't trust them. 
Mm-hmm. But he did make this appointment, which they certainly knew about, to come in and pick up this document that he needed at the Saudi consulate. So according to what we've heard from the Turks, they knew he was coming in. He walks in. There was this group of 15 men, including the forensic... Uh, the autopsy expert. Autopsy yeah. expert yeah, yeah. with his bone saw that are there waiting for him. Uh, that within minutes, they had... Um, basically seized him, started torturing him, cutting off his fingers, beheaded him, right. dismembered him, and two hours within two hour within two hours they'd finished the job, packed up, left and flew back to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I mean so I mean, that looks like uh, that's a professional a operation. Professional operation right. uh, well thought out ahead of time. I mean I, they came there if this is true, they came there for a purpose, mission accomplished, they left. Yeah, and let's not forget that when Khashoggi went on October 2nd, he was there earlier asking for papers. And they said, oh, no, 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 you have to come back in a couple days. So this would have given the Saudi Arabian security services some time to organize some sort of plan. And it's hard to believe that if that is what happened, that there was a 15-man team and we have seen videos of planes arriving early and leaving late. Uh, and 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 every day, I think the, the New York Times yesterday and the Washington Post today have mm-hmm. the photographs of every right. one of these 15 men many of whom were uh, members of the Crown Prince's security squad. Exactly right. And so when you have those names and faces, when you have the videos, it it seems clear that this was this was clearly a team that came to Istanbul for a reason, right? That 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 lends credence to what we've heard. Uh, the question that remains really, the big question is who ordered it in Saudi Arabia? And it's hard to believe that Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince, who's the de facto ruler of the country at this point, wouldn't have known about an operation of this sky, of this size and professionalism. Well, first of all, because he is in charge of the security. Exactly right. Right. Yeah. But, security police in in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, but as a de facto ruler for something that big, you would also just kind of know. But yes, the fact that he's a security service chief would would also lend to that. Right. Uh, so is is there any way that this was a rogue operation? It doesn't look likely, right? Because, again, this is a big operation. It requires a lot of coordination. And we're talking Saudi Arabia. And we're talking Saudi Arabia. And so is it possible it's not a 0% chance that it's a rogue element of some sort? Uh, It just wouldn't be the likeliest theory at this point. One of the questions I that we kind of begged the question by talking about the rogue operation in that why did they want to interrogate him in the first place? If this was an interrogation gone awry, as they say. Mm-hmm. Why the interrogation in the first place? Well, you could imagine that it was an it was a chance because to... Because he, he wrote a column they didn't like? Well, sure. Uh, and also to... I mean, he's been <laughs> saying some bad things about MBS. I mean, the, the Saudis have decades of doing intimidation tactics towards journalists, in many cases disappearing them, as we've seen with Khashoggi. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they wanted to... By, and by interrogation, it really would have been a shakedown of some sort, a way to intimidate him from still writing bad things about MBS. Um, that said, with it, because of his prominence, because of how long he had been connected to uh, Saudi governance for a while, it's hard to believe that a shakedown or some sort of you know intimidation tactic would have worked. They would have known that that probably would not have <laughs> that that wouldn't have changed his mind. And so, if you're looking to kind of silence him, then you have to go with murder. But again, that's circumstantial at this point. Right. What, so uh, the response of the president and the secretary of state has been so far, well, they denied it. So what are we going to do? And they need more time. So we're going to give them, in fact, uh, 
Peter, here was Donald Trump, or uh, uh, Secretary Pompeo yesterday. Um, first of all, his, his response was twofold. One was emphasizing, as Donald Trump has, how important our relationship is. We need these guys. Financial relationships between U.S. and Saudi companies, uh, governmental relationships, things we work on together all across the world. The efforts to uh, reduce the risk to the United States of America from the world's largest state sponsor of terror, Iran. All right, so we need them for all these different reasons. We need their oil. We need their money for the arms sales. We need their money to help us do stuff in Syria. Uh, and Pompeo, if we could jump down, Peter, to where Pompeo then says, um, we just need to give them the time they need to, well. We're going to give them the space to complete their investigations of this incident. And when they issue their reports, we'll form our judgment about the thoroughness, depth, and the decisions they make about accountability connected to that. Now, it sounds to me like Pompeo and Trump are both saying, we'll give them all the time they need to come up with an alibi or come up with a, a, a cover-up or some lame excuse for why this happened. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very clear that this administration does not want Saudi Arabia to come clean if it is, in fact, responsible for this. And it seems likely at this point uh, for them to come clean with what happened. I mean, but I think it's worth taking a quick step back here. So remember that the U.S.-Saudi relationship started in 1945 on kind of three pillars, right? First was oil, uh, second was anti-communism, and the third was finances, investments in American companies, American companies in Saudi Arabia. Um, since then, the financial relationship has grown quite substantially. And one of the main reasons the two are huge allies today is anti-Iran sentiment, mm-hmm. um, right? The, the fact that they're countering Iran. And so when you look at that... It's very clear that even though Trump and Pompeo are using the language of, well, we do want their money, we want their investments, and that's true. The other part of this is if they break the Saudi relationship over Khashoggi or for whatever reason, then the hard line against Iran starts to break down. And so I think when you look at the bigger picture of Trump's foreign policy, and we know for a fact that they've been having conversations like this in the White House, that if the Washington-Riyadh relationship starts to crumble, then the, then the stand against Tehran weakens. And so this is a bigger game for the Trump administration, although I'm not discounting the fact that, of course, Trump does want $110 billion for a litany of arms sales that, frankly, right. also have not been signed. No. Yeah. Right. So far, it's $14.5 billion is the number Something I've seen like that, as, yeah. as opposed to $110 billion. But you talk about money. You talk about financial relationships. Among those who have benefited immensely is Donald Trump himself. Mm-hmm. Correct? I mean. Sure. He's bragged about it. He's bragged about it. Right. The money that they spend for his condos. Yep. Uh, they bought his yacht. They bought the Palace Hotel or the Plaza Hotel. They bought, you know, a whole floor, I think, in Trump Tower sure. or whatever. I mean, uh, and they're still having frequent events here at the Trump International Hotel in Washington, right. D.C., right? Yeah. So, I'm, I mean, it's, it'd be important to know the extent of the Saudi <coughs> relationship with Trump and if, in fact, that is clouding his judgment or leading to him for him to make decisions, right? It is a national security question. Um, that said, it's since we have no evidence that that has that has led in this that is the reason for this case it's hard to to make 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 that argument that said it is important to know that trump in talking about all of this has only been making really financial arguments and so this is clearly top of mind right follow the money exactly um what could we what could or what should the united states possibly do and let let let's say it is Donald Trump now says, well, the big factor is, did the prince know about it ahead of time? Mm-hmm. Well, he'll never admit that, right? It's our, in, our intelligence agencies, according to your reports and other reports I've read this morning, 
um, say our intelligence agencies are, are convinced that he did know, uh, or or they think it's more and more likely that he did. They have right. because just because of again the relationships that he has with these people who carried out this act. Mm-hmm. Um, so, whatever we find out, what what should the United States response be, and what could it be? Yeah, that's a great question. Sever all ties with Saudi Arabia? Unlikely. Yeah, I think right? that's unlikely, and, and it might actually be too much. Even Jack Reed, the Senate, uh, the leading senator of Senate Armed Services, uh, the leading Democrat, I should say, um, just yesterday to reporters said, you know, I don't want to necessarily suspend all the arms sales. There's really no big reason to suspend the entire ties. And and frankly, that it'd be a hard argument to make that we should suspend the entire relationship because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the Saudis are not great characters by any stretch of the imagination, but they do provide the United States some uh, ally benefits. Uh, and so I think what you'll what may end up happening, if anything happens at all, would probably be some sort of sanctions, right? I don't think there will be, or you could even, Trump could even also make the argument that, oh, I'm going to cancel some arms sales, even though many of them don't exist, right? So he could cancel something that doesn't exist, yeah, and that would make right. him look good. Um, but the sanctions themselves, that could be on Saudi banks, that could be on members of the royal family, that the, that the royal family in Riyadh could say, you know, these are some scapegoats, why don't you sanction them? They won't get access to the American financial market, but don't worry, we'll take care of them. Um, you can imagine something along those lines. I don't think you're going to see a big punishment. How badly do we need their oil? We don't need it that badly. I think right now we are the second – We they are our second largest contributor. Uh, but the Saudis have been finding a lot of places to send to, to send their oil. Uh, we've also been creating enough ourselves. So that's it, that is not the most important part of the relationship. It's still a very important part, mostly because Saudi Arabia's effect on oil prices – and for at least this administration, it cares very deeply that oil prices be low. And so even though we may not necessarily need its oil, if the relationship is good, it seems for this administration, they can leverage Saudi Arabia to keep oil or to help keep oil prices low. Um, what about a demand? As I heard a couple of reporters, uh, there was a, a, an event I went to where there were a lot of White House reporters there last night. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was being talked about was a deal whereby MBS, um, Mr. Bonesaw, they're calling him now, uh, MBS steps down and the king, we still maintain our relationship with the king and some other heir apparent, but not MBS, maybe his younger brother or something. Sure. I mean, that's a possibility. Of course, that's a Saudi decision to take. You know, will King Salman, who's having some health issues, will he fire his son? Will he fire his son, (laughs) demote his son, who seems to have a lot of control? Right now, over the country, again, this is considered a de facto leader, effectively. And so that's that's a question here. And actually, I've, I haven't heard enough from Saudi experts about this issue, whether King Salman might even consider doing that. That would probably be the greatest compromise outcome, I think, for all involved. I think if that was what would happen, that would satisfy a lot of American critics. I think that would satisfy a lot of Saudi critics. But I think it's one of the more unlikely scenarios. Uh, we have to say that it hasn't received that much attention but um, nothing approaching this, but Mohammed bin Salman has proven to be a pretty autocratic dictator. I mean, th- this is not the first strong arm tactic that we've seen from him, right? Uh, not even close. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, I think you have he to. He started out. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to put this in two buckets. So in, on the domestic side, he has been a slight reformer, right? Yes, he has let women drive. They are playing, there are movie theaters now. They're playing the Emoji movie and Black Panther in them. Um, great. 
Um, of course, the attacks on dissidents and crackdowns against even uh, activists uh, who are uh, advocating for female drivers, um, even they are being you know, imprisoned and whatnot. So it's, right. it's only slight reforms there. On the, the foreign policy front, that he has been extremely brutal. Uh, the Yemen war is his is his brainchild. The blockade against Qatar, the almost forced resignation of the prime minister of Lebanon. Um, now this situation, and still the continued uh, disappearance. Was the prime minister killed? Or, or, no, it was just forced. no, no. It was just he came to he disappeared for a while. Then he came back and he I said, "I'm okay. I'm I'm, yeah, st- I'm still right. here." Uh, <laughs> but had to resign. But uh, right. <clears throat> um, yeah, the, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, but the point is that when it comes to foreign policy, he's performing only strong arm tactics. And one of the ways he's getting away with that is because the United States is not really pushing back in any way towards its not only human rights abuses, but its foreign policy. Because even Trump in its foreign policy, where we're helping in Yemen, we effectively supported the Qatar blockade. In fact, Trump almost weirdly took credit for it. Um, mm-hmm. So there's really no reason for MBS to stop doing this. Right. Uh, and you mentioned the war in Yemen, which is uh, uh, it is it's noteworthy that thousands of people have been killed in Yemen as a result of the Saudi bombings, right? And yeah. yet, no outrage in this country. And one, I'm not trying to minimize what happened to Khashoggi, but one, the murder of one journalist now has the world upset, right? And and outrage. Uh, it, 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 but it's. From what we've heard, you know, it's easier to focus on. We seem to know more details, and and he's a journalist. I mean, for a lot of reasons, gets more attention. American resident, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's 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 like that uh, phrase from The Joker and The Dark Knight, right? As if things are if they're going to plan, even if it's horrific, no one cares. But we know when one thing happens that's out of it's horrific and out of the plan, then everyone loses their minds. Yeah, uh, that's right. a horrible Joker impression. But uh, <laughs> but that but that's kind of seems what to be happening here, right? We know hundreds of thousands of, of men, women, and children have been dying in Yemen. We know tens of and, and more, you know, tens and hundreds of journalists and activists have been mm-hmm. disappeared or imprisoned in Saudi Arabia. We do know that they are human rights abuses are off the charts. And yet it took uh, a, a horrific event with Jamal Khashoggi to at least highlight and and question the validity and the stature of the U.S. Saudi relationship. That may be an ultimate good, but it is. I think you're right. An important question to ask: Why do we care so much about one incident when there are many we could have pulled out? All right. There's one other factor here, and that is that MBS. One one thing that MBS has going for him, and that is uh, he's got a BFF in the White House in Jared Kushner. Uh, Jared clearly has formed this relationship, this friendship with him, uh, made a deal to bring Donald Trump to Saudi Arabia for his first foreign visit, uh, invited MBS here to the White House and this big tour of the United States. They kind of made a deal, right, where you uh, buy all these arms from us and we won't say anything about your human rights abuses. Uh, And Jared Kushner is the architect of this whole plan. Now, here he is out on the limb with MBS, Jeffrey Tubin from CNN yesterday pointed out how absurd this whole thing is. I'd like to get your comment on it. Here's Tubin. Is there anything that qualifies Jared Kushner to be dealing with any of these issues? Exactly. He's an unsuccessful real estate developer who inherited millions of dollars and married the president's daughter. He's completely unqualified. This is gross nepotism. And it's just an embarrassment that he has any power at all, much less in this critical area well, of the world. Jared Kushner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think what qualifies him is Kushner's kind of a crown prince himself, right? I mean, he's he's been effectively yeah. been given that 
in this administration. Right. Uh, and Mohammed bin Salman also grew up without having done much by himself, but other than born to a royal family, given a bunch of money. So they have that in common. Um, and so they've become BFFs. I think Kushner's power has grown for two reasons. One, of course, Trump has empowered him. And, and two is that there's no ambassador in Saudi Arabia, and we also don't have an ambassador in Turkey. And so Actually, that's kind of why Pompeo had to go to the region this week, right? Because there was no American diplomat there to hang out. Um, but Kushner- it, it's, it's stunning to, to think about that. I mean, yeah. I know you're right, and I know that. But mm-hmm. to hear you say it again reminds us, we have no ambassador to Saudi Arabia two years later. Yeah. We have no ambassador to Turkey two years later. These are two important countries. Massively important. Yeah. A uh, NATO ally and a, and a decades-long yeah. ally, and uh, well, both of them decades-long allies, and so it's no, not surprising then that Kushner has been able to gain power in this space, right? No ambassador. Yeah. Trump has given him that authority, um, and MBS seems to like him. But of course, MBS himself reportedly said, "I have Kushner in my pocket," um, <laughs> and so well, who's in whose pocket? Yeah, yeah exactly. All right. Um, you know, we're going to find out more today, and, and Donald Trump says we'll know everything by the end of the week. We'll see. You can follow uh, Alex Ward at Vox, Vox.com. Thanks, Alex, for coming in. Pleasure to be here. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Two words. Sum it all up. Murder and cover-up. That's what we're dealing with, folks. Cover-up on the part of Saudi Arabia and, of course, with the assistance of the United States and the Trump administration. It's a Thursday, October 18. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the program. Great to see you today. And uh, thanks for joining in uh, for this uh, second hour together today as we round up the news of the day, everything from the latest on the Khashoggi murder to uh, what's happening down at the border, what's happening in the Senate with Mitch uh, McConnell saying the lesson we learned is let's go out now and uh, cut Medicaid and cut Medicare and then, and then that's the way we're going to balance the budget. God, can you believe? Uh, the man has no shame uh, at all. And you don't have to worry about climate change anymore because Donald Trump tells us the, he, he has a natural instinct for science. So just trust him. <laughs> uh, we couldn't get through it all without... <laughs> Jason Dick. From the, it is. It is laughable, isn't it? But it's the trust me part that yeah, it, it me. gets me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of my favorite political movies of all time was with Paul Newman and Leila Davidovich, Blaze, about Earl Long. Not Huey Long, but Earl oh. Long down in Louisiana. And there's this great scene at the very beginning, Blaze star is told by her mother as she leaves West Virginia, just don't ever trust a man who says, trust me. Mm. 
And uh, <laughs> good advice. And so, right. Yeah. And so she later on in the movie, she's on Bourbon Street, and Uncle Earl Long, who is the governor at the time, goes in and he wants to meet her after seeing her uh, ply her talents uh, in in the in the dance uh, danceateria, and um, and she you know is sort of taken with him, and then she tests him. She says, Earl Long, can I trust you? And uh, Newman, you know, doing his best, mm-hmm. handing it up, just turns and he says. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> so, if only Donald Trump were as honest. Right? Yeah. Jason Dick with us as a friend of Bill. We're just getting started. I uh, want to hear from you, your comments on the news of the day, as always, at BP Show. But first. This is the, the drill. Full Court the Press. Full court press. <laughs> the Full Court Press, yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. So earlier this week, YouTube had an outage. I don't know if you guys heard about this. It was late at night. Uh, it was around 10 o'clock p.m. on Tuesday when YouTube just stopped working. You couldn't go there. There was no connectivity. You couldn't see anything. So people started going elsewhere. In fact, there was another website that reported that they saw a 21% increase above its daily average while YouTube was down. Oh. It's another video streaming service. Mm-hmm. It's called Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> People, when they couldn't go to YouTube, they went to, to boob tube. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you got to watch your videos somewhere. Uh, you might as well find somewhere else to watch them if you can't watch them on YouTube. Pornhub reported that they saw again a 21% increase above its daily average. Um, you know, it kind of makes sense. Do you think I they guess. had anything to do with uh, cutting the power on? Maybe a, por- a Pornhub tiger team went into YouTube headquarters <laughs> yeah, with bone right. saws. That's right. Uh, I mentioned yesterday the that the definition con- of packing. Yeah, right. I mentioned yesterday okay. the Connors is back on air. It's the Roseanne show yeah. without Roseanne. It's their spinoff. Uh, in the first episode, they sort of dealt with the fact that the character Roseanne died. So ABC saw some fairly strong numbers with the Roseanne show. Would it translate to the Connors? Apparently not. It had a very very. Uh, disappointing number. In fact, it had about half of the viewers that the uh, debut episode of The Roseanne Show did, about 55% lower than where it was when uh, it debuted with Roseanne. Yeah, I don't feel good about I don't think you should. No, I don't think you should. One other quick story. Donald Trump is planning on building 550 luxury homes near his Scottish golf course. In Scotland, you are allowed to object to this building. And so they had a couple of objections about this in Scotland. 22,000 people objected (laughs) to these condos or these luxury homes being built near the golf course in Scotland. I I imagine it's still going to get built, though. Uh, Yeah. Unless they're underwater before they're built. (laughs) This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. The Washington Post today. A very powerful column. The last column written by uh, Jamal Khashoggi and submitted to the Washington Post. They've been holding it. Um in the hope that uh, Khashoggi might reappear somehow, somewhere. Uh, They have now given up hope and have published this column, which is very chilling lament of the lack of freedom of press and the crackdown on uh, uh, journalists who've been critical of the royal regime, and not just in Saudi Arabia, but through the Arab world. Uh, Little did he know when he wrote that column that he would be um, the... 
best known and the worst treated of all those journalists. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show here on a Thursday, October 18. Thanks so much for joining us. Lots and lots to talk about, which is why we're uh, pleased to have with us uh, our, our, as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, Jason Dick. You sometimes see him in this chair filling in for me. And Jason, thank you for coming in and being willing to uh, ride along with me. The t- I, I, <laughs> or, I learn at the feet of the master. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, God, so much to talk about. But... Um, Let's let's just get away from Khashoggi for just a second and talk about Mitch McConnell. Yeah, you know. So first of all, he said this week uh, he's proud of that vote on Kavanaugh and the whole hearing, the right. whole the way it worked. That's the that's it. the other uh, column in the Washington Post today. Uh, is is, yes. uh, is is Mitch McConnell? Yes. Stating, I'm proud of the Kavanaugh vote. He goes through the reasons that you know, if if you had ever tuned in to the the, the opening of the Senate in the last year. Uh, you you'd heard this you know a version of this, but there it is indelible in print. You know he's he's proud of it. He sort of ropes Susan Collins in for you know like providing the the mm-hmm. uh, you know sort of winning margin on it. And uh, and the, you know the he's been on a bit of a a, a media tear o- over the last uh, couple of uh, couple of days. He sat down with Bloomberg and uh, and and stated that you know he he really hopes that they can get this whole spending thing under control because it's really. You know, it's all these uh, Democrat problems, uh, you know, Medicare, mm-hmm. um, Medicaid, Social Security. Uh, and, you know, Republicans can't do it alone. You know, they, they have to they have to address these problems on a bipartisan basis. Uh, of course, that's, you know, expert trolling. You know, he, he knows exactly McConnell knows exactly how to get under Democrat skins by just, you know, being this very calm, you know, troll <laughs> on, on, on their priorities. This, you know, led to a. a Chris Van Hollen, you know, the, the senator from Maryland, Democratic senator from Maryland, who also runs the Democrats campaign committee to organize a, a, a press call and say, you know, see, we told you, you know, like Mitch, Mitch McConnell is going to they're, they're, they passed their tax cut bill. They have huge deficits. You know, this is another report that came out on Monday uh, that that stated, you know, that, that the deficit is growing and a, a fairly significant part of it is because of the tax bill. And uh, and now they're going to come for to cut entitlements for for people that you know that these you know help up the help the middle class and, and the poor. And then you know McConnell went to talk to Reuters yesterday and said largely the same thing. And then you know the, he's in the in the post today about Kavanaugh. So this is the it's it's almost uh, I mean they must feel good about the way the the Senate races are going at this point is my my conclusion from right. that. So on the budget, uh, the Treasury Department reported that in fact the the budget the, the deficit. Has exploded really seven a seventeen percent increase right. under Don, in Donald Trump's first right. fiscal year right. to where it's about seven hundred and ninety seven hundred and seventy nine billion dollars seventy nine yeah. billion dollars yeah almost a trillion normally that would generate a huge avalanche well, of well let let's let's clarify that that outrage that's, yeah the, the outrage comes when there's a Democratic president yes yes, <laughs> yes. That, exactly. when there's a Republican president there is no outrage you know that that's the that's that's the the fault of of previous administrations uh, mm. that that were uh, not Republican administrations so or maybe I don't know maybe they kicked George W. Bush around and, a little bit you know but 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 you know if this, it, what during Obama's you know presidency th- this was like the fall of the oh, Republic oh yeah right. And Donald Trump doesn't seem himself to be to care about. Deficit. He's the king of debt. The, exactly. He loves it. The king he loves that in, stuff. The king of debt in real estate. The king right. of debt in government. He doesn't care, right? Right. 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 And now Republicans don't seem to care. Uh, the Treasury Department did say that a, a good part of this increase in the deficit is because of a loss of revenue, right. which was directly due to the 
tax cuts. Right. Mitch McConnell denies that, as you just pointed out, right. and said in, instead it's we're spending too much money on Medicare, Medicaid, right. and Social Security, and we got to cut those programs. Is it smart for him three weeks before the midterms to give the Democrats a, a tool like that? I mean, an argument like that, saying, "Look." Here's what they're going to do. It it seems it, McConnell it, kind of asserts yeah. that's our plan for 2019. Right. I I was a little surprised about it because the I mean the the Kavanaugh stuff is is what they've been you know kind of uh, gliding on right. I mean they they, they think yeah. that this has yeah. helped them. It's it's probably has helped them in particularly in the more Republican friendly states and then where Democrats are running for reelection in the Senate, but. To, to start talking about entitlements, to start talking about things just as the economy is starting to kind of, you know, take off a little bit and just as people are starting to feel a little better about things to say like, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. And again, this is not a new thing at all. Oh, I mean, the, no. the, you know, the, this has been a part of Paul Ryan's budgets for total, years. Total. Uh, so it, it, it is a, a it may have been a little bit of a miscalculation, but which is maybe why we see the these back to Kavanaugh. I'm actually talking about how great Kavanaugh mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Uh, Bart O'Kavanaugh. Bart O'Kavanaugh. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, and we're going to talk more about um, with your when your colleague Bridget Bowman comes right. in about some of these races that this might impact. Right. Uh, Senate races as well as House races and uh, and governors races uh, as well. So meanwhile, the Washington Post is reporting on Khashoggi this morning that that what's going on right now is that the the United States and Saudi Arabia are working together to come up with what they call a mutually agreeable explanation. Mutually agreeable explanation. One might even call that collusion. (laughs) No collusion. No No mutually agreed explanation. (laughs) Mutually beneficial agreed explanation. Or one could call it cover-up. Cover-up, yeah. I mean, mean, it's stunning. it, it, It really is, and it's the whole thing just... Kind of stinks, right? I mean, it, I mean, just from a from a kind of an objective perspective, you have a a journalist dead in a foreign country in diplomatic property, you know, dead, missing, dead. But I mean, the, it doesn't seem to be dead. going anywhere else, you know, in, in terms of even the Saudis uh, kind of, right. of like, part, admit now he's dead as part of a botched interrogation. Right, right, you know. If only, if only Khashoggi had been taking his, rogue his blue operation. blockers and uh, and his aspirin a day, right. you know, he he, he could have we could have all prevented this. Uh, no, it it really does sting. And I, um, as, as I want to do, I've been I've been reading reading books that don't seem to have that much to do with the current situation, which just seem to echo it. You know, the more that I read about it, I'm reading Robert Timberg's book, The Nightingale Song, which is partially about Vietnam, partially about the Naval Academy, and also about Iran Contra, and the, you know the the thing that is striking me about the these two two eras is that you know Iran Contra you know the whole situation was we got into it with people who actually kind of knew what they were doing i mean you know people like bud mcfarland mm-hmm. who was the national mm-hmm. security advisor mm-hmm. under reagan mm-hmm. and, and john poindexter and even oliver north i mean these were all fairly you know, experienced military officers. They had been all educated at the Naval Academy. McFarlane was deeply steeped in foreign affairs. Poindexter was an expert tactician and strategist in terms of getting, you know, large bureaucracies and, and so forth to to work. And what's amazing is that they screwed it up. You know, they though they screwed it up badly and it and it had reverberations for years uh in, in two over the course of two administrations. 
I don't think anybody is thinking that even though, you know, uh, Pompeo went to West Point, that any that anybody in the administration of, of of Donald Trump is at that level of expertise. I mean, like take away the party label, but it, no, n- nobody yeah. is really that good. And we're engaged in something that is potentially more dangerous and more messed up. And it just it's coming out. I mean, it just seems incredibly the whole thing seems just scotched from the beginning. Uh, I just saw, by the way, on Fox and Friends, the the Chiron on. So Pompeo's back from Turkey. And he's meeting with uh, Pompeo today. Uh, uh, he's meeting with the president today in the Oval Office. And, and Fox uh, headlines it, uh, Pompeo to brief Trump on Saudi journalist. I mean, nothing about <laughs> on the murder of right. Jamal Khashoggi, right? right. So, and I, I last night... I was just just trying to see how the conservative media are dealing with this. I looked at the web the web, website for the Daily Caller. Mm-hmm. Not one mention of the Khashoggi story. How many Not Nancy one. Pelosi stories, right? Oh, there are several <laughs> Nancy Pelosi stories. Yeah, right. right. Not one mention. Mm-hmm. So they're really trying to like like the White House is doing is trying to downplay this. We don't know what happened. We're just going to give them time. Uh, and it's almost like saying we'll give you as much time as you need to come right. up with right. the best story you can, and take, then we'll just it'll be business as usual. Take as much time as you need to clean the blood off the floor, and then we'll come and investigate. I mean, to be crude about it, I mean th- th- this this seems to be that there isn't really that much of a desire to actually find out what happened. And again, that the the thing that is so I mean, as a, as a journalist, the thing that's scary is that. Yes, this this kind of stuff is not new in in you know autocratic regimes. They go after journalists. They go after people who speak their mind. They go after yeah. people who challenge the status quo and and people who are you know opposed to free expression and reforms. But now we're we're increasingly culpable in in the United States. There is there is no condemnation. Well, in um, fact, and, and it and it's it's just kind of scary. Uh, in fact. Um, You'd have to say, I believe, that, and I think there's maybe more evidence of this, that Donald Trump's relentless attacks on the media and calling the media the enemy of the American people have emboldened dictators around the world to, hey, Donald Trump can get away with it in the United States of America. Well, it's like going to say, so you know, can we, it, right? The only thing that's right. going to stop some of these people who want to do terrible things <laughs> to their own citizens or journalists <laughs> or whatever, whether you're talking about, you know, Assad or anybody else, is someone with some sort of moral compass to stand up and say, this is wrong. You can't do this. You can't lead your people while also kill them. And it's certainly not us right now. Well, well because he's not an American citizen. Oh, yeah, right. There's also that. Well, and the thing that is, is when you think Which about- Donald Trump has actually said. Right. It's an excuse yeah. for doing nothing. Right. It's an excuse for doing nothing, even though, I mean, well- the the thing that strikes me is that like somebody like Vladimir Putin, who's always kept his distance from you know the murders of journalists and and dissidents and so forth, and has always said like, well, you know, there's no evidence of that. There's no you know mm-hmm. there's no issue. Now, granted, Putin is yeah. a is a more adept uh, intelligence operative, somebody who's a little more comfortable in what work apparently than the than the Saudis uh, at, at at this point, but. I mean, it, there always has been this distance, right? There's always been this plausible deniability, is the espionage term, uh, with the murders of people, you know, in 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 Russia and, and Russians abroad. <laughs> Khashoggi was lured into the consulate, you know, in Istanbul, the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, 
murdered in the consulate by by a team and the you know amid all these reports of um you know the 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 Saudis sort of debating about what they should do and how they should do it and and what what does Jared think and what does Pompeo think and so forth I mean like th- this is I mean what what is how emboldened does that make somebody like Putin to say like I don't need to even deny this anymore. I can, I can just sort of, like, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I can, I can have my fingerprints closer because you know the the Saudis are like holding up their hands and it's like you know there's there's blood all over the place. I right. Mean, there's no, there's no. It's it's just sort of astounding. I was reading uh, Max Boot, who no liberal he in the in the Washington Post, I think, was this morning saying. It's a it's a good time to be a dictator. Yeah, free pass. It's a bad time to be a dissident. Right. Anywhere in the world. Right. Yeah. right. Be, be careful uh, in your dinner invitations uh, around the world. Uh, <laughs> you know, try, so we had several people uh, call in yesterday to uh, ask me, please, not to accept any invitation to the <laughs> to, to any Saudi to the Saudi consulate or, 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 or the embassy yeah. or the <laughs> Turkish embassy. Either one, I wouldn't trust either one of them. Or the Russians, no, or the Syrians, or I don't know, Myanmar. Or <laughs> uh, take, I was just looking pick. for. I mean, reading. Um, here it is, yeah. Reading Khashoggi's uh, column this morning, which I'm sure you did. I mean, it's just chilling where he's talking about. What he's talking about is the fact that in in most Arab countries, there's no freedom of the press. Therefore, the people are kept in the dark. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't really know enough about what's going on to discuss these issues, let alone get involved in them. And he talks about a friend of his who wrote an article critical of the Saudi government, and he's in prison now for five years mm-hmm. uh, just for that for that reason. And and just basic saying, you know, this is not going to improve, and they've got their way of silencing critics of the government. Little did he realize he was prophesying his own demise. Well, and and think nobody thought they would go that far. And and you know the 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 expression, you know, you you know you know who you are by your enemies and so forth. I mean, like um, one of the the Saudis' most pronounced enemies in in the region too is Qatar. Uh, you know what does Qatar have? They have Al Jazeera. They, I mean, Al Jazeera. You know, like yeah. like any or- news organization, uh, you know, ha- has its flaws, but it is one. It's one of the few places that where people turn to for like non mm-hmm. um, party line news in the Middle East. And it, it isn't it isn't it just a remarkable coincidence that that the Saudis have been trying to you know pressure the United States to sanction Qatar. I mean, it's just, uh, and one it's of the things that Khashoggi points out and salutes the Washington Post because they were translating his columns in Arabic and sending them around the world. They said this is one way that people, Arabic-speaking people, could hear mm-hmm. a dissenting voice you know, through his, his columns. Uh, and, uh, and that voice, sadly, now silenced. Frank Luntz... Um, whom we know, um, Republican pollster. No liberal. No liberal he either. <laughs> he tweeted out yesterday, uh, President Trump has shown more outrage over Canadian milk than over the Saudis. <laughs> Good yeah. line, but true. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. remember the rant that he went on about Trudeau putting these, right. you know, raising the prices on Canadian milk and those coming or, into the United States or any dairy products. Or, you know, on, on the other side of the border, you know, the, you know, Honduras, like threatening Honduras, you know, so like, you know, I don't, I don't want to see any of the more of these caravans that are heading towards the border mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah. I mean, a lot of outrage about like some, you know, malnourished children and, and people fleeing, you know, a terrible situation to try to, you know, make their lives better. A lot of outrage about, about that. 
Um, no, not not so much. You know, when you're when a, a dissident is murdered. Uh. Uh, but but good segue to the border situation, which we haven't talked about. So, uh, Peter, it was just the other day um, where Donald Trump said, um, basically bragging about the fact my policies at the border are working. And this family separation means that people are not coming because they know we're going to be tough on them. Just a couple of days ago. If they feel there will be separation, they don't come. You know, if they feel there's separation, it's a, it's a terrible situation. Now, he says that at the same time we know, as you just indicated, there's a caravan of some 4,000 who are in Guatemala now from Honduras in Guatemala on their way to the United States through, Mex- through Mexico. Um, it was also re- released yesterday that 16,658 family members were arrested in September. Uh, that's up 80% from the number that were arrested in, in July. Uh, and the um, HHS, which has jurisdiction over kids who've been separated right. from their families, they already have, they, they are, they have 13,000, still have 13,000 migrant children that they're that they're caring for. So the facts just totally deny what Donald Trump is saying. In fact, his get tough policy ain't working. It's well, I mean, they're echoes of the war on drugs, right? I mean, like that 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 this, you know, we've loved to tough talk, you know, talk tough about this for years and it basically doesn't really work. I mean, like one one of the few things that seemed to work, I mean, ironically, was like helping helping those countries develop economically so people could stay in in them and get jobs and so forth. You know, things like NAFTA, I don't know. <laughs> you know, might 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 have helped. Uh you know, it it's the the rhetoric, I mean, I I've I've ceased to be shocked by, you know, the sort of the contradictions. Um I mean, they they seem they're Every politician will manipulate, you know, the facts and figures, but the, the the just the sheer volume of having to keep up with it is is kind of difficult. So, I'm I uh, you know the I tried not to pay too much attention to what the president was saying about the deficit the other day, and just to focus on the report itself that that, that came from the administration about it because I just you know I I didn't. I, Confuse it. <laughs> like I, I didn't want to be like, wait, that's not true. It's not true that we're, you know, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the, you know. Right. I, I, I just wanted to fact, you know, like sort of focus on the facts and figures. Well, so. yeah, it does. It, it it's a full time job mm-hmm. sorting out the poor, lies. Poor Glenn Kessler at the I Washington just, Post. <laughs> I, that, I was just thinking of Glenn Kessler. I mean, so, he has job security for the rest of his life, or it at least, took least him in the like next two few days years, yeah. to take the sixty minutes interview <laughs> and identify. All the lies, exaggerations, misstatement, just basic untruths, right? It, in it, it was it, uh, it was pretty remarkable. I mean, I, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. I, I read, uh, you know, most of the transcript afterward because I just, you know, I, I, I think, I think that I'd just gotten back from Arizona and the the jet lag was just, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't, wanna, I didn't want to like uh, do too much damage to my brain. But um, th- that <laughs> as part, then he followed that up with the Associated Press interview. Oh yes, right, right. Where there's some other gems there too, right? My, and but, but, well, go ahead. And no. my, I was going to say my, my favorite part of it is, if the Republicans lose the House, it's not my fault. Right. Yes, <laughs> like let's get down to the real meat of it. Like aside from just like any sort of exaggeration or anything like that, it's not my fault if the Republicans lose. Right? Would you take responsibility? And he said no, no, because I'm doing everything I can. To Why help start them. now? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, one thing that sort of got hidden in that in that associate press interview were his comments about climate change, mm-hmm. where Zeke Miller picked up on Leslie Stahl's question about climate change, where he said on 60 Minutes that he kind of believes in it, but um, he doesn't think it's man-made. Right. Right. Just, you know, right. just like a regular weather pattern. You know? yeah. So uh, AP picks up and asks him about it, and he says, well, what we meant was, yeah, there are some changes now, but it'll change back. Right. Right. You know, Which is kind of new for them, by the way. Yeah. It's not new oh, for yeah. conservatives, but yeah. it's new for the Trump administration. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. This is an argument that's really hard to argue with, right, as a layperson, right? Like if your Fox News grandpa tells you, like, oh, no, we, well, there's no there's no way to tell. This is, you know, the, the earth goes through these periods all the time. We have right. no Jim way to know. This is Jim Inhofe's theory, yeah. too. He's always so after that. yeah after the planet heats up to Venus like conditions over the next uh, f- yeah. you know f- few decades mm-hmm. uh, and, and we, we wipe and we, everything yeah, out and we and we all go extinct in a in a few million years or so we'll right. see another ice age yeah, yeah. great yeah <laughs> now I don't I, I've heard him have said make, I never found it that comforting to know that millions and millions and millions of years ago there was another time when it right. got hot and then it, and then millions right. of years ago there was an ice age to me that's not relevant right. right. Yeah, I mean, the, to, the, yeah, the, it worked out just fine. We're still here, my grandkids, <laughs> right? And and you know, the, uh, you know, the sci- scientific community couldn't be clearer on this. I mean, they 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 seem to be like sort of raising the volume in terms of like we actually okay. won't be able to recognize the planet in about thirty years. I mean, it'll, it'll be basically dead, and most of us will be dead too. I mean, if you think The Walking Dead. Is a you know it'll it'll look like a that'll look like a children's show you know compared to what we'll have to deal with, and it's just this like oh well you know it'll change back eventually. So why should we believe anything Donald Trump has to say about climate change? He went on to explain that he said now some say that and some say it differently. I mean you have scientists on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Incorrect. Incorrect. <laughs> uh, but then he goes on. My uncle was a great professor at MIT for many years. Dr. John Trump, and I didn't talk to him about this particular subject, <laughs> but I have a natural instinct for science. <laughs> we, you know, we all could tell yeah. that about him, right? You yeah, know, just listen to him talk. We, yeah. we, he's just saying what we already know. Incredibly articulate. Oh yeah, you know, advanced vocabulary. Yeah. On, on these things, <laughs> takes his time to do his research. Right, right? brings in the world's leading. Deliberates, yeah, you know, do, yes. doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. like you know weigh his hand, you know, he he, he doesn't like jump to any conclusions. <laughs> I mean, he really calmly lays out <laughs> the, analytical the, guy in, in the, in the yeah, that's, uses that's, the that's, scientific process for all these decisions. Check one, out the big uh, brain on Don. <laughs> if there's if there's one word that sums up like, Donald Trump, it's analytical. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. oh yeah, yeah. Can you imagine having if he had a team of scientists? Yeah. By the way. The, I mean, there there is a post of science advisor. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, John, <laughs> what was his, for that Obama had John? Got his name now, but I mean, Donald this, Trump doesn't know his name either. <laughs> no, <laughs> so. but does Donald Trump even have one? Uh, it it's escaping me if he does. I, I, granted, I I, uh, I I don't. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I know I don't, who it is. It's Jared Kushner. <laughs> it must be right. He be. took that portfolio too. <laughs> We've got to hear Jeff Tubin again. The, the Kushner, of course, uh, a little bit of a, a little, a little bit of hot water maybe these days, for, not by Donald Trump, but other people, because 
his BFF is Mohammed bin Salman, right. right? He's developed that relationship, and now two two princes like the spin doctors. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're two princes. Right. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> two royal princes. Uh, so now his his guy is it looks like he's the cold blooded murderer. What is Jared Kushner? Jared, Jeff Tubin went off on this yesterday on CNN. Is, is there anything that qualifies Jared Kushner to be dealing with any of these issues? Exactly. He's a unsuccessful real estate developer who inherited millions of dollars and married the president's daughter. He's completely unqualified. This is gross nepotism. And it's just an embarrassment that he has any power at all, much less in this critical area well, of the world. And, of course, was put in charge of... Everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. Uh, starting with a new peace plan for right. the Middle East, right. which we were supposed to see like a year ago and then six months ago, and we still haven't seen it now. looks like we will never see. The, on, uh, on Friday, Amoroso was on Bill Maher, you know, on, on Real Time with Bill Maher, and, and, uh, and Maher was asking about Kushner. And, and, he, and I think he said he has something to the effect of, is he as dumb as he as he looks, you know, or, or something like that? Because he's like, I don't know, because he never talks, you know. But he, so he was like really curious about that uh, with with Amorosa, and 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 she said, well, the thing that struck her about most of the people in the White House was just the sort of the lack of just sort of a basic political and policy vocabulary. Um, you know, she had worked in previous White Houses. I mean, she's she's actually, I mean, she is this sort of caricature because of her association with the Apprentice. And so forth, but uh, but she actually does, you know, she has worked in politics before, and she said, you know, he's like the guy who actually doesn't know what he doesn't know. One of mm-hmm. Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he he doesn't know what he doesn't know, and when you try to correct him or you try to like introduce a concept to him, he gets defensive and testy, which is like the worst kind of boss. I mean, it's it's the the the, the person who doesn't know what he doesn't know and gets angry when you try to help. I um, I'm just trying to remember. We have we ever heard from him? Didn't we hear from him once? Yeah, we did. With, you know, there was actually a really funny bit in the that, White House briefing room. Was it? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was actually out on the driveway. It was on the driveway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The okay. Driveway. Yeah, yeah, there was a really funny bit that John Oliver did, where because uh, we nobody knew what he no, sounded no, like. No. So yeah, they gave him Gilbert Gottfried's voice. They gave him Gilbert Gottfried's voice, voice. <laughs> 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 while he was talking. <laughs> it was pretty great. <laughs> but I mean, think about how long this guy. I mean, because you know he was in the public eye before the campaign. I mean, he he. You know, he's been in in New York social and real oh, yeah, estate yeah, circles for yeah. for years, and and nobody. But you know, just as a right. glitzy character who shows right. up at you know right. the parties and on the social page of the New York Times, right? Harmless, you know, rich guy. You know, well, maybe not harmless, but why would you ever buy some uh, an address that's six six six? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't that the isn't that all the evidence we need that there's a problem there? I mean, of all the pieces of real estate to buy, it's like let's buy the one with the uh, devil imagery in it. Yeah. <laughs> I like six six seven, neighbor of the beast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, on another front, we've learned that um, apparently uh, the reason why Mueller was uh, so interested in making a deal with Paul Manafort and Manafort so interested in making a deal with him to save his skin and not spend too much time in prison is that uh, Mueller um, was uh, counting on Paul Manafort to provide some uh, good inside information on Roger Stone. Ah, that always, always, it and always that, circles back to Stone, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, this, 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 uh, together with the rumor that Mueller is ready to pounce again with either 
some major findings or mm-hmm. major new indictments soon after the midterms, and it looks like it could be Roger Stone. It's about time they caught up with him, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I— He is the, the number one bad guy you know, I, who's gotten I have away been, with it for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I'm shocked that it has taken this long to filter. I mean, again, you, you, start, you start at the outer room and work, work your way in. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Stone is again almost like a caricature of yeah. of, of like the you know but he the, was bragging about his contacts with Guccifer too and right. his contacts with WikiLeaks. There were even rumors that he went over there and met with Assange. Who knows? But he he broadcast ahead of time that John Podesta is really going to be in trouble, man. Right. <laughs> just in a couple of days, you just wait. Yeah, and if, sure enough, then WikiLeaks releases all the emails of John Podesta. I, so you know he was. Colluding. You know, one one thing that um, that these folks have done is they've they've had they've really redefined satire and how you can mm. deploy it. You know, for myself, you know, I mean, like one of one of my go go to lines when somebody, you know, if I show up at work and I have a tie on or something like that, and they say like, you know, oh, who's got a job interview today, or where's your job interview today? And my throwaway line has always been like, well, you know, I'm I'm finally selling out. I'm going to the Nerve Gas Association of America, <laughs> and and like I I probably have to check that one to make sure that like Roger Stone doesn't represent them. You know, just 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 to like, right? I got to go and and reevaluate all of my like broadly ridiculously satirical like mm-hmm. one-off lines now just just to make sure that like Manafort or Stone or you know what Sebastian Gorka or whatever whoever any of these <laughs> clowns you, you know, know they you, know, you <laughs> like, know they're involved in it the, right I it mean, would be <laughs> so sad if it were not the president of the United States or, and his team, or uh, if the nerve if the Nerve Gas Association of America did exist, and they're like, "Hey, we're not associated with those yeah. guys. Like, yeah. give us a break, man. All we want to do is kill people, not buildings." We'll sue you for defamation. Uh, Jason Dick with us here is a friend of Bill. Uh, we'll be joined by Jason's colleague Bridget Bowman to talk about the political landscape, some of the most important races. It looks like those polls keep changing uh, every day. A quick break, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. On the Thursday, October 18, the Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital and our studio on uh, Capitol Hill. Follow us on Twitter, indeed, at BP Show. But also, a uh, brand new website we've been telling you about to check it out, leftisright.com. And if you go there, or you can download the app for leftisright.com. Uh, the app is uh, PVN, Political Voices Network. Uh, it's a kind of a one-stop shop for progressive media featuring the Bill Press Show, Stephanie Miller Show, and Tom Hartman Show all in one place. Uh, it's up now, so uh, check it out and uh, make that uh, your go-to place for the latest news on the political front between now and the midterms and beyond. Um, but we'll give you a good little uh, foretaste of uh, the political landscape today. Jason Dick from Roll Call, deputy editor here in studio with us for entire hours, a friend of Bill, and now joined by political reporter for Roll Call, Bridget Bowman. Uh, so I want to get this straight, first of all. So he's your boss? <laughs> Not really. Yeah, Not really. Way. You, well, a, you've been my direct editor before in <laughs> the yes. past. So he's yes. one of your bosses? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this may be a little unfair for you, you know, that you're going to have to perform in front of your boss here. You know, so... Um, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just more you know, it's pressure, just but you a know, little more pressure. Try and try and do okay. <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm not a bad boss, even though I mean I'm not. She's not my direct report. How's that? Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So this so, is starting to like we, Ricky Gervais in the office. I'm not really a boss. I'm more of a chilled out entertainer, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
great. Now I'm Ricky Gervais. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, let's start with President Trump is uh, on the road today uh, for another. Uh, it's a 2020 rally, really, which he sort of hmm. sort of masks yeah. as a, at a rally to help uh, Senate candidates, uh, particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's going out to Montana. Yes. Why does he believe that John Tester is in trouble? Yeah, um, he. This will, I think will be the third time he's out in Montana, and mm-hmm. polling has generally shown Tester with a slight lead, though still really close. Uh, everyone's sort of expecting Montana to be one of those close races. Uh, the president is also heading to Arizona and Nevada, which are interesting because those are two Democratic pickup opportunities. Um, and also expected to be very close races. Folks I've been talking to in those states expected to be one or two points in both cases. So the president is really trying to energize Republicans, make sure that they remember to turn out, remember the importance of this election uh, from their perspective, because I think Republicans acknowledge they have had an energy problem on their side. It's kind of uh, mitigated a little bit more now, but it's still, you know, it's still an issue. Pardon me. He has also said this week that if any of those Republicans lose, it's not his fault. Yeah, right. <laughs> if any uh, of them, if they, if they win, he'll take all the credit. Right. If they lose, it's not his fault, right? Bad boss. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, that's that, that's that's the kind of thing they tell you not to do in management training. Right. right. I mean, he can say that, but midterm elections tend to be referendums on the president, especially the first one of that president's term. So there's no way to avoid uh, the influence that the president's going to have on this election. Right. So three weeks to go, but uh, Tester looks like he'll. Pull it off, do you think? Maybe. Uh, he won, I believe his last race, it was less than 50% of the vote, but he still won. So it's really in Montana and in a number of these red states, it comes down to the candidate's own, pers- the senator's own personality, their own personal brand in those states that people in the state identify with. Uh, my colleague Simone Pathé went out to Montana. Montana. She wrote some good stories from out there and, and talked about the personal connection that voters feel like they have with Senator Tester, that they know him. Uh, so it'll be an interesting test as to whether that's enough to win in a redder state like Montana. I don't know, Jason. If I think of any senator who reflects the state and the people that he represents, it's John Tester. It's, Every it, time I see a picture of him on right. his tractor. And on his tractor with his seven fingers <laughs> yeah. and his yeah. flat top. Uh, and, and, you know, wh- one of the things that's been interesting about Tester's campaign is that he is uh, he's he's not really like, you know, hugely out front criticizing the president. He He makes sure to emphasize... Uh, that the president has been signing bills that he's a, a co-sponsor on. He talks about the fact that he's the ranking Democrat on the Veterans Affairs Committee. There's a lot of veterans in Montana, and also uh, the some of the some of his allies in Montana have gone to great pains to paint his opponent Matt Rosendale, who's the state auditor. He's also a, a, a statewide office holder, uh, as being from Jersey. Uh, you know, which is is mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, uh, yeah, I mean, in in Montana, I mean, it, it, people people in the, in the West is filled with transplants, uh, but Tester is from Montana, and uh, and Matt Rosendale is not, and that mm-hmm. seems to be a big part of the Democratic strategy is to show that he's a out-of-state real estate developer. And again, developers uh, not not held in huge regard mm-hmm. uh, in, in places like Montana because they're associated with putting condos where you, where you used to be able to hunt and fish. Yeah. Uh, and in Nevada, Dean Heller was considered to be one of the most vulnerable of the, of the Republicans, maybe still is. Jackie Rosen, the Democratic candidate. Uh, what's the outlook there? 
Sure. So folks I've been talking to in Nevada, especially Republicans, will say everyone was writing Dean Heller's obituary back during the health care oh, yeah. fight. because yeah. He went back and forth saying he was going to oppose the Republican plan to repeal Obamacare, he ended up supporting some of the measures. Uh, so Democrats saw that as, OK, this this is a good chance for us to win this seat. Uh, but Heller's been able to hang on. And in talking to folks out there about why that is, the answer I most often get is it's it's Nevada. <laughs> um, and what they mean by that is that the state itself is so politically divided. It's very evenly divided. It has a good chunk of independent voters as well. Um, a section kind of more north of the state is very conservative. Rosen has her Democratic base in Las Vegas. Uh, I think the thing and another tricky part of that race is that Congresswoman Rosen is only in her first term. She wasn't as well known across the state as Senator Heller was. Um, so she had that issue to contend with. She has been raising a lot of money, which has helped her air TV ads and get her name out there. And uh, she has the Harry Reid machine. Right? Yes, she does. Yep. And that um, I was talking to a woman who works with the Culinary Workers Union the other day, and that is a political force in Nevada. Oh, no, they own Nevada. Yes. Right. And they are or so Las effective. Vegas, at any rate. Right. Exactly. They're so effective in turning people out. And that is what a what they say is going to make a big difference in this race, just getting all their voters out. Uh, more and more sort of 2020 shading there, too. The the uh, former vice president, Joe Biden, uh, who's uh, uh, his. Oh, you have his, his mug? I, I, have, I, have, I have Jill's mug. Jill's I have mark, Jill's mug here. Uh, Joe, Joe Biden will be out there on Saturday <laughs> uh, rallying the, the culinary union to to get out the vote. Not just on on behalf of Jackie Rosen, but also there are some competitive uh, house races there too. And so the you know Nevada, it, it is always you know amazes me like what states become the center of the political universe. But but Nevada is one of them. Obviously, Democrats want to take down Heller. It's kind of hard. I mean, he's won five statewide races. I think it, it is. I mean, as a senator and as a secretary of state uh, before that. So. Uh, but but the certainly so, the, you can you will count on there will be a lot of culinary union activity yeah. uh, in 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 the coming weeks. So yeah. still in play mm-hmm. uh, in, in Nevada, but no, by by no means you yes. know certain one way or the other, mm-hmm. uh, which may be true. Our also of Arizona, Kirsten Cinema, yep. right, mm-hmm. uh, up against uh, McSally. Yes, yeah. Congresswoman Martha, Martha McSally. Yep, both uh, Congresswomen. So the interesting kind of. Fun fact about this race is no matter who wins, Arizona is going to get its first woman Republican, well, woman senator, sorry, yeah, right. um, which is a historic moment for, for your home state. Mm-hmm. Um, folks in Arizona are also expecting this race to be very close. Um, the polling is kind of tightened. Even has been ahead, hasn't she? Right. Not by much, but ahead all the way through. Yep. Yeah. Um, she's benefited from not having a primary. Remember, Congresswoman McSally had to fight through that Republican primary. And mm-hmm. the primary in Arizona is really late. It was the end of August. So while Republicans were fighting amongst each other, Congresswoman Cinema has been airing ads since April talking to voters about how she's more moderate, more independent. And she was able to really speak to that group of voters while Republicans were not speaking to them. So that helped her kind of get give her that lead. Um, Now it's kind of tightening a little bit. It'll be interesting to see if the president's visit makes any impact in terms of energizing Republicans even more. it's interesting where the president is going to in in Nevada and in Arizona. I mean, both of these states are, are you know, Nevada is certainly a swing state. Arizona has, is always the future swing state, <laughs> as, as long as I've been alive, I feel like. Um, but the president will be in Elko, Nevada, which is not close to Las Vegas. I mean, it, it yeah. is, you know, up oh. 400 miles to the north. Uh, and, and Near very, Reno. Very, yeah, well, it, it, the it? other side of the state, nor- oh, it's the oh. northeast part of the state. It's, it's, it is far. Um, yeah. Uh, way way up there, and and it is uh, it's cowboy country. You know, I mean, this yeah. is where I mean, 
it, it is a desolate sort of area. Uh, Elko is is a very popular area, but but surrounding it is is nearly nothing, just a lot of cows, uh, and 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 it's a very conservative place too. And and the, this is the sort of sagebrush revolution kind of mm-hmm. uh, places to go. So that's a place that the president obviously feels very comfortable, uh, and where Dean Heller will will get a very friendly reception. And then in uh, in the Phoenix area, he'll be uh, rallying in Mesa, which is you know the, Mesa is a eastern suburb of of Phoenix. I mean, it's a city to itself, but you know along the lines of like four hundred thousand people. But it's also a fairly conservative place. It's a heavily Mormon place. It's uh, it's the type of place that um, the the president will also feel very comfortable. Cinema was a Phoenix area congresswoman. She did not represent Mesa. Um, yeah. This is where Jeff Flake uh, represented when he was in the House. McSally's from a you know a Tucson-based area, so they they I guess the president just sort of split the difference in in in, in moving away from uh, Phoenix, which has become a fairly liberal city, and is rallying the troops in a in a friendly friendly confines of Mesa, Arizona. A couple of other states uh, that we had that maybe people didn't expect to be in play one way or the other. But NBC News uh, this morning uh, showed that in Tennessee, um, Marsha Blackburn is now up three points over Phil Bredenson, hmm. uh, former governor uh, of Tennessee. Nobody thought Tennessee would be in play until um, Corker decided right. not to not to run, and then Bredenson jumped in. Yeah, this is one of Still those could go either way, though. states. Huh? Yeah, I've, I think Republicans are feeling a little bit better about Tennessee, uh, especially after uh, the Kavanaugh hearings. They generally believe that their voters are more motivated now than they were before. Uh, I think Tennessee is an interesting case where Democrats think they got the right candidate in the right state. So uh, Bredesen is a former governor, someone who's been elected statewide. And very popular. People know, yes, and is very popular and and not and said that came out and said that he would so he would have voted for Kavanaugh. Uh, that maybe could have hurt him among some more liberal Democrats, but those Democrats are going to vote for him anyway. Uh, so it'll be that will definitely be a very interesting state to watch on election night. And if Democrats have any hope of winning the Senate, which is looks kind of slim at this point, they need to win Tennessee too or Texas. But Tennessee looks a little closer. And the Taylor Swift bump didn't help. <laughs> Taylor Swift made her big endorsement, and somehow he went down in the polls. It's... Well, actually, he had. They had, I mean, it, it's interesting. Again, the Trump years, right? I mean, like one one week can feel, you know, like a month and, yeah. and so forth. I yeah. mean, last week people really were just writing off Bredesen as just totally dead, mm-hmm. you know. And and now yeah. that you know, they, sure, there's yeah. there's a little bit of a of a heartbeat there. I mean, it's amazing to me that Bredesen really doesn't. He, he, we haven't seen a ton of evidence of a campaign. <laughs> like, as, as, I mean, there, there's some ads, but he's not barnstorming. I mean, it's it's quite a um, it's quite a contrast to a place like Texas, right, mm-hmm. where Beto, you know, is probably uh, he's probably visited all 254 counties like, twice or three yeah. times yeah. now. I mean, yeah. he just keeps right. on driving, keeps on eating a Waterburger, keeps on not gaining weight from all this Waterburger. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's obvious. I mean, like I'm really jealous of this guy's like, you know, like the ability to not uh, mm-hmm. not look like he eats Waterburger four yeah. times a day. Literally. You know? But you know, you just mentioned the the Kavanaugh vote that he said he would have voted to confirm Kavanaugh, right? Like I didn't know much about Phil Phil Bredesen. I just assume like okay he's a democrat he's got some name recognition he used to be the governor like you mentioned uh but then when i heard that it's like oh well that's a that's a real bummer right <laughs> like i can't imagine that democrats are super pleased with him about that i know they're tennessee democrats i i mean i again I it, bridge is right they're, i think they'll give they're him gonna a vote for him anyway yeah. because yeah. that because the possibility of picking up a democrat sure. senate sure. seat in tennessee 
It's also yeah. you know it's one of those free you, it, Gore, it, it's it's those yeah. one of those free shots you get to take. You know, it's, yeah. it's like after, yeah. after the result, you know, he wasn't in the Senate. Who knows what would have happened if he was there? Mm-hmm. I mean, Doug Jones yeah. voted against Kavanaugh. He he has to run in 2020. Yeah. Uh, that certainly will be used against him mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in 2020. So if, if so, Bredesen was there, who knows? You know, so what, what about Beto in Texas? Yeah. After that, the big debate this week <laughs> where he you know, yes. came on strong and, and, he's and going, said, Lion Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump was right. Lion dead. Yeah, that was quite a shift. And he's going negative in some ads, too. It, maybe that's a sign that they see something. Maybe it's slipping away. Maybe they feel like it's time now to, to really go after Senator Cruz. I don't know. I, Texas has always been tough um, in polling. While polling has shown it closer than maybe it should be, like in single digits, uh, Senator Cruz has never really dipped under 50, uh, which his team says is a sign that that this is all just kind of a fantasy for Democrats. Um, but Congressman O'Rourke is trying to energize people who haven't voted before. And um, I think it was Congressman Castro has said that Texas isn't a red state. It's a non-voting state, that they have large segments of their population that don't vote. Uh, the thing that kind of interests me about the Texas Senate race is whether that there will be any kind of down ballot effect on some of the competitive House races in Texas. Um, and there kind of goes hand in hand. Like it helps a work that there are competitive House races and people on the ground knocking on doors. Or excited. And, yes. Yeah. And it helps those and, candidates that Democrats are excited about Congressman O'Rourke. So will there be kind of will all boats be lifted essentially right. in Texas? We'll have to see. So one state mm-hmm. that Democrats weren't didn't think they have to worry about, it turns out maybe they do, is Florida with Rick Scott with an un, un bottomless pit of money right. of his own. <laughs> yep. Uh, and uh, the same poll we were talking about that Jason and I saw a little, a little bit earlier on NBC shows Scott up two points of basically a tie to mm-hmm. with Bill Nelson. Yeah, I think Democrats acknowledge that uh, Governor Scott is a really tough opponent, largely because of that bottomless pit of money that you talked about. He can spend so much money on this race, and Florida is an expensive state, forcing Democrats to spend there as well, which takes money away from other states. Uh, Democrats are still sort of generally confident in Senator Nelson. I think they think that having Andrew Gillum as a gubernatorial nominee helps them. It helps energize African-American voters in this state, help drive up some of that energy on the Democratic side that could help Senator Nelson, too. Right. Uh, So can we all, uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the House, can we all just sort of agree that Democrats have a good chance of taking back the House? (laughs) At this point, I would rather be a Democratic strategist or the chairman of the Democrats campaign mm-hmm. committee than than the Republicans. Okay. I mean, the way of putting the, it. The, yeah, that that, that yeah. is the that, that's the comfort I agree. level. De- generally, okay. we've we've thought this from the beginning of the cycle. Democrats right. have a good because we don't have a lot of time left, and I want to t- yeah. touch on a couple of um, 2020 uh, questions. Uh, Julian Castro is all over the cable news this morning. He mm-hmm. was on uh, NBC Live, Morning Joe Live. Now he's on CNN Live, and he said yesterday, "It's likely that I will run in 2020." Mm. Really. Julian Castro? Why not? If Unless Beto does. Oh, that's, <laughs> right. That's an interesting point. Uh, yeah. yeah that, right? I mean, I, that yeah. That other Latino from Texas? <laughs> <laughs> oh. the, no, I mean, yeah. I, I feel like this is, you know, I mean, people are now, I mean, particularly with Obama having run, you know, not even, you know, 
the paint was still drying in his office in the Senate when he decided to run, you know, for president. And, you know, with Trump on the other end of the spectrum, you know, like somebody with no political experience running and, and winning, you've got the last two presidents. I mean, why would you wait? Why would you say, well, I'm, I mean, well, if his you, brother was a congressman, is a it congressman. Is, yeah, right? his twin right. brother, right. Yeah, and, twin brother. And he is, I saw they identify him as author. Right, <laughs> author. And, but he was, he was also the, the, Secretary Hell, of I'm an uh, author. Yeah, of, of you're HUD. an author. Right, I'm an author. <laughs> we're, run. we're all an authors. Uh, no, I mean, he, but he was also Secretary of uh, um, HUD, mm-hmm. and he was also the mayor of San Antonio. And the mayorship of San Antonio is a bit of a weak mayorship, but you know, the governorship was weak when George W. Bush was was governor of Texas. So, I mean, he, he's, yeah. he's you know he's old enough, no. constitutionally old enough. Why not run? <laughs> and you know, what else has he got to do? He is an attractive <laughs> candidate, and uh, you know, if if you, you mentioned about the turnout in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, okay, Julian Castro. Elizabeth Warren, is she, in fact, did she just kill any chance that she had this week with her uh, little Indian caper? Yeah, that's a good Didn't help her, did it? Probably not. I mean, I don't know. I feel like the news cycle goes so fast. Like, are people going to be talking about this in weeks from now? Probably not. Um, she has Donald been, Trump will be. I mean, that's a good point. He probably won't won't let that one go. Um, but yeah, the field, the Democratic field, just could be so huge. I don't even know what to expect or who could even. <laughs> I, th- I think there are people that might run that we don't even didn't know help, about yet. Did it. It, I, don't, I don't think it helped. And and the and one of the reasons that it didn't help is that you know Warren has been very good. At, at at sort of throwing things back, you know, at at Trump, but she she played into his game, you know, with this walked and, into it, yeah, yeah, and 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 he more more trap and she walked right, right in. and more than a couple of people have said like I'll release my DNA test as soon as you release your tax returns, you know, I mean, or or some. some